Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Exploring Cybersecurity, the podcast where we deep dive into all aspects of cybersecurity news and trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Ventura, field CISO here at ThreadX. Today is episode three of this podcast entitled CISOs in the Boardroom. Just a quick reminder that this recording and all recordings of the podcast can be found on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Podcasts, and other streaming services as well. I'm excited to jump into today's topic and to be joined by two very experienced guests who both are CISOs at their respective companies. First, I would like to introduce my first guest, Jeff Faradich. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Great, Jeremy. How are you today? Good. Thanks for joining us. Just a little bit of background on Mr. Jeff here. Jeff is an experienced security leader in CISO, as I mentioned before, with over 25 years of experience working in the financial services and high-tech industry. Jeff was brought on at New American Funding in 2019, really to build a security program from ground up. You can also see Jeff at local conferences and communities. He's also a member of both the executive and strategy C-level committees around the nation. Uh, Jeff has worked at various senior leadership roles, including Schools First Federal Credit Union, Cisco Systems, NDS Group, and other organizations. Jeff, again, thanks for joining us. I'm super excited to have you here today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. And next, I would like to introduce our next CISO guest, Mr. Rich Lindbergh. Hey, Rich. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Rich. You're joining us. Rich is the CISO at JAMS, which is a national legal services firm. And Rich also has over 25 years as a cyber veteran and practitioner with a passion for problem solving and really building security teams from the ground up, very similar to Jeff. Rich can also be seen as a normal thought leader that's seen around the community in blogging, podcasts, and other speaking sessions in local communities. So Rich and Jeff, again, I want to thank both of you for joining us today and super excited. And I know our audience is really excited to be hearing in from the two of you, especially the both of you being CISOs at your respective companies. So thanks again. Awesome. So the topic today, we really want to design this topic because when I personally look at the news, when I'm looking at different articles, when it comes into cybersecurity, or even just scrolling through my LinkedIn, the real trend I've seen in the last three to six months is everything about CISOs or security leaders and how they become effective when it becomes of influencing the board, or what does that meeting look like when they're at the boardroom level. And for a lot of individuals that are in security leadership, it's not always the easiest thing as well. I think a lot of us come from technical backgrounds, and sometimes we struggle or have a challenge when it comes to translating the technical jargon into business terms. And that could be anything from expressing what is the risk of the business? How do I gain budgetary resources? How do I implement a new security tool? Or even how do I just build and culture this, the relationships within the other C-level executives and build really from ground up that whole culture of security? So that's today's topic and what we're going to get into. And I can't be more excited to have both Jeff and Rich join me on this journey here today. To open it up, I want to talk about, first of all, just the number one question. Why is security at the board level? What is the importance of it? I think we can talk a little bit about the trends and what we've seen, but why now? Why does security need to have that table stake when it comes to the boardroom? Jeff, I'm actually going to start with you, if you don't mind. Uh, why security and why now at the board? I think this is long overdue. Jeremy, you look at the amount of risk. I'm just in Q1 this year, the ransomware almost doubled from prior year. You hear breaches of the largest companies still happen on a daily basis. So security is front and center. It is a top risk organizations have today. So really we need to help educate and guide the company forward to protect it. So the goal here is really to have that seat, 
simplify the security discussion, elevate and communicate the risk, both in quantitative costs as qualitative, and really just help drive the company to create a culture of security first. Yeah, no, it, it makes absolute sense. And you, you brought up some of the, just the emerging threats that we see in the news today. Ransomware being the big one in every single mine. And ransomware is, unfortunately, even in this past week or two with the move it vulnerability, it's affecting organizations worldwide. And so when it comes to evading that sense of security and why it needs, Rich, do you have an aspect on you know, how is it effective? So if you are at the board level and you are influencing the board, is there one or two things, maybe best tips or recommendations you can give other CISOs that are listening in on maybe how do you become effective? Well, sure. So I think that there is an apex, a shift in why now that Jeff was alluding to. We have to have that seat. It is long overdue, but it's there are shifts in the market. There are pressures coming down from the government that are mandating cyber competence in the boardroom for certain companies and that will just become normalized everywhere so the expectation is going to be for people who are managing profitability in companies or whatever their responsibilities are for that company they're not going to be able to turn the other way it's unavoidable so tips i think we need to flip the script the reason why we haven't been in the boardroom for so long was because what you alerted to earlier jeremy we didn't speak business and when we are going into that venue, it's important to know that our audience wants us, if we're invited in, they want us there, but they want to know what's relevant to them and not to us. And so we need to not go in there and talk about uh, technical threats. We need to talk about business risk. And so change your mindset is where you start and know that if you understand what each player the board's obligations are to the senior leadership and then the senior leadership as they support you in the board, uh, you need to speak to those needs and those guys to the business. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. I love a couple of things that you said there. One, understanding, for example, the chief financial officer or maybe the chief marketing officer, or the chief legal officer, what are their objectives? How does their role, how does their department overall impact the entire business and organization? And that doesn't change for security as well, right? From the CISO level or even a CTO level, what is the impact, Rich, you said it right there, business risk, right? I think a lot of times when it comes into that boardroom conversation, we need to be able to translate that jargon, as we mentioned, into the business, right? And at the end of the day, depending, now every organization, every business is in different industries, right? And that definitely matters um, and differentiates between company to company. However, understanding that what is the business trying to do, right? Do we have customers? Are we uh, providing a certain type of service? And so Rich, I'm gonna go turn it right back to you right now. Do you have an example on, you know, what a, again, what I'm talking about right here when it comes to understanding that partnership and other roles within that C-level executive? Yeah, I'd offer that uh, you mentioned marketing, for example. And I, as security folks, we worry about uh, spoofed emails. Uh, people being uh, receiving emails that are fraudulent, supposedly representing us, but are really scammers. And one of the ways we can do that, I'm not going to get into a technical deep dive, but we uh, deal with email security and we do we deal with a thing called SPF records. And what that does is it changes how we deliver email. Okay, so that's all you need to know there. But what I would do in that board situation is I would speak into the marketing person. I would say, there's an important control that we can leverage 
which is a cyber control, cybersecurity control, and it will increase the delivery rate for your marketing surveys, your marketing blasts. It will get past the spam filters of the receivers that you want this to get to because we are doing the right things and delivering confidence through technical systems. So I, that's the kind of way I would frame a goal that I might have to that audience. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Jeff, do you have, uh, I know with your experience as well, do you have any examples on potentially, again, that helping non-technical folks understand sometimes the technical uh, either risk or challenges when it comes to security of the organization? Do you have any real life use cases or tips and recommendations on that? Yeah, a lot of my program is based around complaints that I have to adhere to. So being a financial space in 49 states in California, you know, CPA requires the CIS controls. Federally, there's the FTC Safeguards Act. New York has NYDFS 23 NYCR 500. So those are the controls that really I, I map out the most. But what's happening now is the states are all adopting their own privacy laws, Texas being the latest last week, the 10th state. So I'm seeing a lot more push now where states are saying, listen, you need to adhere to FTC safeguards or you have to follow NIST privacy framework. So it's becoming quite a hodgepodge. So really the regulations I'm trying to track is getting more extensive. But then day, all my budget items, all my projects, they map out to these controls because in the day, we have to actually meet these to meet uh, privacy complaints, constraints. And of course, you know, a control is always just a checkbox. You have to measure the maturity of the program and also the efficacy control. Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think as we talk about security, there's this obviously, and we can probably do a whole webinar on this, like secure, is security compliance, is compliance security. I know we've all seen those and have all different opinions on that, but it's interesting you mentioned that because to your point, depending on the industry that organization is, compliance or regulations may take a forefront versus, oh, we need to buy potentially or add a new IT security engineer or add a new thing. It might be, we need to, because we're a payment card industry and we're uh, abiding by PCI and have to uh, pass our PCI requirements every year. We made it a focus because that's our industry on what those specific compliance requirements are. Or to your point, Jeff, especially organizations that have global presence, especially with things like GDPR. And now we're seeing in the news, right? I think we just saw for the first couple of times, right, massive organizations being are getting hit with huge lawsuits and huge fines from GDPR. And what does that mean for the organization? And I think a lot of it when it comes down to the business is business drives off revenue, right? That almost every business is revenue based. And so with that, I want to dig a little bit deeper. Do you think, and I'll open up to Rich first, and then Jeff, I want your opinion on this one as well. Does security, here's a challenging question, right? No, no answers. Uh, incorrect here. Does security generate revenue? It, it can, for sure. Uh, depends on what your business is, of course. We're a security, we're not a security services firm, we're a legal services firm. But one of the things that we always promote is how do we drive excellence in everything we do as a marquee brand with a national presence and an international business reach too. So we have similar complexities that Jeff has to face. And so we work towards a higher high watermark. In the legal space, we're not actually regulated to a particular standard that you might call out like PCI or HIPAA or whatnot. However, we, as a business decision, voluntarily adhere to uh, many high standards, very stringent standards. And as such, it increases the confidence when uh, companies or individuals come to us for our services 
that they are very sensitive. You know, confidential legal documents are not going to float out into the internet or other bad things happen. So it is a revenue driver if it is erased by the business as such. If that has to do with, that comes back to ultimately making sure it is a business conversation. Because just because you're doing the good thing doesn't mean you're getting credit. And then that credit is, you know, putting put out in conjunction with a message with marketing and the CEO and other leadership. And so we have that intent to show excellence in that department well and create a revenue driver. Awesome. Jeff, you have a opinion to security generally? Yeah, I will say the answer is definitely yes. It may not be clear for every organization, depending on what your service or product is, but look at Microsoft. Just last week, they had an outage of Azure, Outlook, and a few other services, and that was a DDoS attack. So that outage, they potentially, they may not have necessarily lost revenue. They took a brand hit. They had a public announce, hey, this was a security hack, which, you know, is not part of the right way of saying it. It was a denial of service attack, exhausting the resources. You know, in my industry financial, consumers expect their interaction of product and services to be secure. It's not an add-on, they add to that, that uh, really that, the offering that they can choose from or deny from. It's like, it's expected. So as a business, we have to provide a secure offering. Yeah, no, that's, that makes total sense. And to your point right there, especially when companies and organizations are, again, the revenue is generated because of products. And that product could be anything from selling an, a car to email security to a cooking line, whatever it might be. I think when you're, especially in the product business or the revenue business of that, right? To your point, Jeff and Rich, you both touched upon you. You both your answers were yes, right? Of course, there's a little asterisk there where it depends, right? And sometimes it's not always clear. But once you really start to understand that, security really becomes part of that equation when we're talking about revenue, right? We're talking about how if for some reason we had uh, an incident or a breach, you know, security related, obviously, what does that do for revenue, right? You've got, Jeff, you mentioned right there, brand reputation damage, right? You've got potentially cost and fines you got to do or pay, right, to different regulations out there. So with that being said, taking a little bit of a pivot here, um, I'm curious, and I, I think a, a lot of our audience is curious, what does, because not everybody is, has a C-level title, what does a board meeting, when it's your turn to present, Jeff, you're going to present to the board, you've got your five to 10 minutes on our, our quarterly meeting, for example, what does that look like from your perspective? Like, what are some of the, obviously without going into details, but maybe what are some of the metrics? How do you describe potentially the security risk or what you're doing? What does that look like in the day in the life for you? Yeah, if I could backtrack one second. So since you mentioned cars and security and revenue, Perfect example is Honda and Kia. Just in the last few months, it came known their fobs are insecure. Cars are being stolen left and right. Insurance companies said, we're not going to insure these cars anymore. So even though it wasn't directly impacting revenue for a sale, think of the mindset of the buyer. Do I want to have those cars? Do I want to buy them? Or am I going to change my purchase decision? So yeah, I think it's very, you look hard enough, you're going to see all the answers quite clearly, the security does tie. Now to pivot to your question, so when I talk about to leadership and the board about security, I always tell the story. What are the latest incidents that are happening? Ransomware, outages. What are the breaches that are happening? Class actions. What's the changes in potentially the laws? So I paint the picture of how the market dynamics are changing. Then I go and I talk about how's our posture looking? What were our incidents? What did we... It's great to show when a tool is effective 
and its purpose and block attacks and really show that. So it shows here's an ROI on this tool. It's black and white. Then I talk about here's the risk reporting. I talk about what it is at a high level, what controls are mapped to it for regulations, and then what's our maturity on this? If it's a gap, then listen, we got to create a project plan. We need to get budget. And this has to be sequenced into the organization's their initiatives to make sure because a lot of times security improvements don't just lie with my team it goes beyond at a higher level either multi-department or org-wide so that's the way i approach on getting buy-in of course a lot of times it may not be the priority i want but there is a time for everything and if you keep telling your story right eventually they're going to listen and make the right changes yeah that's awesome insight um, love a couple of the points you touched upon there right telling the story another great way of how we can take a living in a technical world and everything's for the most part, especially when IT and security, we live in our teams are very technical oriented. So using use cases, using stories, uh, Jeff, just not to, not to paraphrase a little bit what you said there, but even one thing I took what you were saying is comparing us, uh, also showing trending and benchmarking, compare us to the industry, right? What's happening in the world? What could that potentially do to affect us or our supply chain or our customers or our partners as well? So a lot of valuable information there. Rich, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, what does it typically look like uh, is it similar to Jeff's? Is there anything that you would add on to that when you're talking uh, to the board? I guess I would suggest this, that it's probably a more relatable situation than people suspect. When you are speaking to your senior leadership at your company, the only, the main difference between them and the board is that they are involved stewards within their role of the company day to day and the board does check-ins at cycles. And so they're not subject matter experts. They will certainly have their own background, but they won't be involved in the day-to-day. -day. So the examples Jeff gave are wonderful ways to touch on very salient points. So I guess what I want to say is that if you don't know what it's like to address a board, then uh, think about how do you address the senior leadership in your company, because hopefully you have that relationship. And they are going to want the same kind of Reader's Digest briefing and empowerment with information because then they're going to turn around and one or more of them are going to convey that to the board if they think it's relevant. So first of all, don't be intimidated by the notion if you haven't done that. Um, secondly, I'd say it's you have to know your audience. Again, they are going to, as non-subject matter experts with the day-to-day -day operations, they're going to want you to be very succinct. And to the point, rules of three, very short hit, hitting facts that are relevant to them. So I go back to business risk, something else Jeff touched on. How is this going to, how are the, how's the posture? What are the potential scenarios that could hit us? It's a perfect uh, thing to say. But you don't, I don't tend to get into the weeds or in technology, but I have been known to put out information like saying this investment has been shown to give an ROI. For example, I just sent something off that I could, through actuarial conversation, demonstrate that our $51,000 investment in one solution, just one, has uh, mitigated $1.2 million worth of risk for the year based on actual events within our company related to that product. And that's just one uh, and that has nothing to do with the other positive benefits it has, which is this ha what happens to give user uh, employee productivity gains because it, did, it removes distractions and so on and so forth. So there's lots of different ways that you can talk about the business benefit 
of investments so that they know that what they've approved continues to be effective and worthwhile. So they'll continue to let you maintain that budget year over year. But I think it also helps you avoid the trap of, wow, nothing bad has happened. Why do we need all this security? We never have problems. So one of the things that, that Jeff was touching on was showing a little bit about what we're up against. And so when I show those ROI stats, I also show a little bit about how uh, what's real in our environment. And I try to stay away from general industry stats as much as possible, other than citing things like a breach report from one of the notable uh, sources that are out there, because I want it to be relevant to them. I want them to feel that it's definitely about us and that we're doing good things. Yeah, no, be between the two of you, those are that's gold information right there. And I know our audience loves that. And Rich, you mentioned this, Jeff, you also mentioned this, like ROI, specifically with solutions. And Rich, you gave that great example there about this investment that we paid X amount for has saved us or has reduced our risk, potential risk by X amount because of what we've implemented. But as we all know, it's not just ROI on tools and systems, it's ROI on resources. So headcount, employing staff, right? Making sure we have people in the right areas, but not just in the right areas, but allowing them to grow or invest in their careers with every organization that they work for. Uh, is the conversation, I'll let either Jeff or Rich answer this one, is the conversation roughly the same when it comes to trying to get resources and headcount as it is tooling? Or is there a little bit of a different kind of mantra that you go by when it comes to maybe I need to add, for example, three employees or five employees in my security operation center or an application security, whatever the department might be. Is the conversation almost the same or is there different tips and tricks as a CISO you do when it comes to getting headcount versus a tool? I'll take that first. I think asking for a budget for a product or service is more black and white. You have the cost, you have the vendor. Staffing can be, it's a different approach. You got to show what are you trying to achieve? Uh, what are you lacking today? Can you actually be more service oriented and reduce a request, a service request? Can you, can you automate the onboarding more of your employees faster? How can we tie it to business terms and uh, enable the business speed? Yep, that makes sense. Rich, would you agree with that or do you take a different approach or? Well, yeah, what Jeff's talking about is is looking at your particular situation and balancing out what's better to do with this outsourced service versus internal. When I look at any solution, I'm always considering a couple of different factors, whether I should have an MSSP or if it would be better to bring in staff to manage that. Because if you put your project management hat staff on, a total cost of ownership for bringing a solution in-house is how much time do I have to spend living in that solution versus uh, versus automation, which is something else Jeff raised. Uh, because if I can't automate it, then I've got to staff it. And that cost, the cost of training, as well as the fully encumbered salary, those are real conversation pieces to have versus an MSSP. Sometimes MSSPs are really the best most of cost-effective way to go because they will keep up on the training. They will manage the staff, especially something that takes a larger number of people to manage. But on the other hand, especially with the introduction of AI and ML tools and better automation and integrations, uh, it's very reasonable to say, if I bring this solution in, I expect it to take 10% of one employee's time. So therefore I have 
the budget of a human that I could spend on internal uh, capabilities. And that may be not just managing tech solutions, it might be providing a superior level of service. It might be helping to do better outreach and support just to win hearts and minds. Because frankly, you know, when we talk about supporting our users and getting them on board as a culture, uh, we can't just be the single megaphone. We need a chorus. Yeah, uh, a lot of great insight there, a lot of great input, uh, obviously, of how you're justifying budgetary resources when it comes to tools and or humans. I love, Rich, you mentioned that sometimes it's the best way to go uh, from all different angles is sometimes even leveraging managed service providers, for example, when it comes to either a security operation center in to totality or even specific tooling to help with certain areas of the IT or security business. Uh, on the ROI piece, question that I've got here is, in general, I feel like when it comes to, let's say, in the organization of a security department, and this is not perfect, every security organization is a little bit built differently, right? You might have compliance, you might have engineers, you might have a security operations center, and they might wear different hats. Then you start going into like maybe leadership, right? Managers or directors or senior leaders of certain departments within the security team that rolls up to typically, there could be multiple levels, but rolls up to the CISO. And when you're looking at, I'm gonna flip it, instead of the CISO going to the board, when you're looking at your actual team metrics, metrics I feel like when it comes to the day-to-day -day activities uh, are very valuable. And I think the conversation changes when you go up to the board. I think the conversation, as we talked about from a technical jargon standpoint, it's a little bit different versus your senior manager sock being like, um, this is how much requests we've got over. This is what we're blocking. This is how many phishing emails either got through or how many attachments were. When it comes to the metric component of it, I want to break this down into two things. One, are there certain metrics that you look like or you look for from your own internal security department leaders? What, I guess in an example of that, what are those specific, not getting into real details, but what are some of those metrics you look like or you look for within your actual internal security teams? I'd actually like to start with the fact that when I shop for solutions, this is the exact conversation I'm having with the manufacturer of the service or technical solution. I need to understand, of course, what you do, how you connect or integrate into my world, for supportability and coverage, because different solutions can have the same name, but they have different coverage and that may get you there or not. But then I need to, I tell them straight up, I need to see what kind of dashboards and exportable reports, customer reports, data you can give me, this platform can give me to prove that you are effective. What is your efficacy so that I can look the CFO straight in the eye and say, that's helping us. And then as far as the ROI, I think it goes back to those who came, hopefully most security leaders came up through a technical background. I know they, you get the occasional ones that sort of came in on the side there, but uh, they're all valuable. But they, the ones that grew up in security have this tendency to gravitate towards these little nits of, hey, I'm, I've blocked one million bad sessions or whatever it is. But what does that really mean? And your question was, what do I talk to the team for? And it still comes back to what do I ultimately need to represent back up to senior leadership? If I can't measure success, then it's not useful to me. So I won't buy something. I, the best effective security in the world, I will not buy if it can't prove it. 
by through reporting, first of all. And then I need to be able to see, look at something like a business impact analysis because ultimately security is going to be, unless you're, unless the case is you're trying to use it as a revenue driver, like we discussed earlier, the other side of it is simply uh, cyber resiliency. And that means you are protecting all that which the company invested in and IT systems and processes and people and whatnot so they can continue to do the that which they do for the business and you can make money, right? So security is a way for them to not be distracted. So going back to the team and the metrics, I'll look at, I'll map, just like Jeff, I'll map all of my selected solutions and people and process, that people process technology, to covering those best practice areas. And then I will find a way to measure each and every aspect of it all the way up and down, including human elements. And what does that all mean to me? So they become, they have to become the trackers of that and report it. And I have to be able to ask them questions and they have to be able to go investigate. So the, all that data has to be ultimately be able to tell a story and whether that's an operational actionable story for individual contributors to go affect you know, good change and protect us or partner with other departments for other purposes, especially IT. There is so much crossover and benefit that security solutions can give to IT operations teams if you just look for it. And there could be so much better partnership. We need to work better in that way, I think. Uh, but anyway, that's a whole lot of words to say that it's got to be meaningful and it has to be there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Jeff, do you have similar thoughts on that one as well? I'll second. That's one of the biggest asks my vendors is you got to show me the, how does your tool help improve my controls? What's the efficacy? What's my posture versus your other customers and yours as a whole? So I have something to benchmark against. So I think some vendors do that great. Maybe like the tax service vendors do. Other ones still struggle to give them that dashboard. And my goal on like a cloud security is I want to know what's my overall cloud security posture for IS. What's my posture in each of my cloud environments, Azure, AS, GCP, and to break it down by subscription or entity level. So as I drill down, so I can find out who's a culprit, I need to go knock on the door and say, we got to get these problems fixed. But that's kind of tell my picture is look at the controls, whether it's email, MFA, other, and just do trending. For patching, it's very easy because my meantime of patch has been 12 days uh, for well over a year for both servers and endpoints. That, that's easy to measure, you get the right tools in place. Other ones are really hard, much more hard to quantify. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I think a lot of great points. Uh, and I was reading an article recently uh, on one of the, the bigger cybersecurity uh, news outlets out there and talking about how sometimes, kind of relates back to the initial conversation we had, where senior leaders, CISOs alike, will sometimes struggle gaining buy-in because they're so heavily focused on the tactical metrics. What did this specific thing do? How much was blocked? But I think Rich and Jeff, you both mentioned it. None of that really matters unless you can translate that again, going up to the business, especially when you're at that board level, right? For that senior level, senior leader, whether it's board, whether it's again, crossing your hand over to the other department and saying, well, what's going on here? I need maybe more resources or we're putting out this new campaign or why did you buy that tool? Understanding the business, understanding what those tools can provide to you and what the value can provide to you helps only helps you underst understand, but also uh, put value on, again, the ROI and help you have those conversations. So I'd like to say we actually have a lot of security vendors listening in right now to this call. So Jeff and Rich gave you the secret sauce right there, um, but some awesome stuff. Uh, I'm actually going to segue into kind of the final portion here of our webinar. And I want to start, Jeff, with you first. 
another kind of trend that I've personally seen, I've seen a lot of articles recently, is around CISO specifically and security in general, and this whole notion of uh, stress. And I think it's a real thing. The article that came out, I can actually cite it was on Cybersecurity Dive, and it came out, I believe, either yesterday or today, and it said 94 from the survey results, 94% of CISOs are very, there's a scale, but very stressed out. And I want to just talk about this for a little bit here for the final portion. Um, I, Jeff, and you, I'll start with you. Why is this role sometimes not for the fainted heart, but why can it cause stress? And I guess, do you have any tips and recommendations on the latter part of that on how to best kind of combat that or help in the daily life of a CISO? I'm talking to my peers and what we're reading. It sounds like the lack of buy-in from leadership from the board is contributing. And if CISOs are raising the risk, they're not getting the attention, the focus to remedy this, to improve posture, reduce the chance of an incident or breach. That's sure a, a source of stress. And in my situation, I've been managing IT operations for years. And I still do today. So I'm used to more tactical, keep lights on, keep the business running. And security is definitely the other hat I wear with different teams. Uh, but honestly, I think it's just it's part of the job being in tech. It's changing so fast. The threat actors are always one step ahead. And just really having a good program in place, a good networking, like with Rich and others, our peers we talk to, we offload on, we share ideas on. And of course, having a good pool of vendors to count on. I think it's still very manageable. There's a lot of talk about a lot of CISOs plan on power and they're done, the burnout. I think if it's managed properly, well, that could be mitigated. I sleep fine at night because I do what I can. I've done the best I can, which has been fairly good over the years. And it is what it is. And tomorrow's another day. Great answer. Great answer. Rich, any insight on that as well? So I'm going to make a blank, blanket statement, which obviously won't be true 100%. But here it is. I think that when one gets into roles like security, it's a little bit like the vast majority of, let's say, law enforcement or other types of careers where you are in a protector role. Many, I would say the vast majority of people in that, that I come across in that camp simply have a desire to do good at one level or another. And maybe they think it's cool and whatever other things drive them, but somewhere in there, they want to they want to do good. And even if they didn't, they certainly want to uh, they certainly want to uh, have the ability to feel like they matter, just like any kind of employee retention concept for doesn't matter what your job is, you want to matter. And as experts, we worry a lot because what part of our job is to research those threats to the organization, tactical or business. And when they we don't get that buy-in, like Jeff was saying, we aren't supported. It's we feel like well, why are we even here? And that will cause tremendous stress for any employee, regardless of what your job is. But because security is very complicated, it's very fast moving, and it's you go to the board or senior leadership and you say, Well, thank you for all your investments, they were very worthwhile, and I need to ask for something else because the threat landscape changed as Jeff was talking about, they're always one step ahead. And we can manage all that so that we have to, we don't have to go one for one in response for that by building good foundations, et cetera. But we do have to pay attention to uh, that burnout. Tangentially, I'd like to say that the, 
we all see that there's a tech shortage, resource shortage for tech and security is extremely acute. There's always jobs open for it. Um, I think that we need to have more mentorship programs to raise people up from the ranks, starting with people who have never had a job in the industry. Because, you know, that catch-22 of having no, no experience, you can't get a job. And it, companies have neglected security, not all of them, but many of them have neglected security investment. And they may have only one or two resources and then when they get approval for another my gosh they're so far behind they need to hire somebody with five or ten years experience and eventually those people we run out of them and we don't have a way to grow new ones so I believe in mentoring I believe that people in the next tier down need to be responsible for the people under them for their success as part of their measurement like a trade school we have the apprentice journeyman masters whatever kind of roles where you're not successful unless the people you supervise are successful and bring everybody up and also create room for truly entry-level positions because we can grow them, we can train them. So we're resource constrained, we care about our jobs and we're stressed be because we definitely want to do good and achieve a good result. And when we can't, we're just sad pandas and yeah. we're stressed. That's super valuable information though you touched upon uh, mentorship as well. I remember even when I first started my career, it's and we still have this problem today where they're looking for entry level positions, but you need 10 years experience or five years experience. And it's like, I can't add more years or more experience to my life. That's impossible. And so uh, you brought up a, gr a great point. I know we've talked about it in previous podcasts as well about mentorship, giving people the opportunity that come from different backgrounds, a space where they can excel and giving them the nurturing to be successful in this field. Uh, and I know we've seen a lot of great initiatives come out from public sector to private sector about how we're going to, or at least the framework, I should say, on how we need more individuals of all different types of backgrounds, right? Diversity, inclusion included, uh, to get into the cybersecurity space because we need them, right? We need the resources, but we also need to have leaders like yourself that have frameworks in place within your own organizations to mentor organizations, mentor individuals, let them grow, try new things, see new things. Um, that's how we all learn and that's how we all stay adapt to ever-changing times, but get committed to the organizations that we work for as well. So it's super, super important. With that being said, we're almost coming up on time. And Jeff, I'm gonna start with you. I'm gonna ask one more question for the both of you and end it on a positive note. Uh, what is the most rewarding aspect of being a CISO? I think it's having the ability to hire and promote your team members, show them a career path. Uh, some start in some tech, some do not, but show them the opportunity. I got a program here where it's really, where I have an SME who talks. It's like a day in the life of an SME and how they get to the point they were today so others can understand that journey as they work on their journey. That's awesome. Again, to that mentorship aspect and hearing from peers and being able to, oh, wow, they did that. Like maybe I can model that or take my own path, but that's awesome. Rich, how about yourself? The most rewarding thing of being a CISO. So I want to say that I'm going on the mentorship piece real quick. Uh, you need, and to be in this kind of career, you need to be a lifelong learner. If you just come in and you punch a clock or whatever and you leave and that's you really this is probably not the role for you because it moves so fast you need to have that curiosity and you just want to get excited about what you do in your job and know, know that if you don't like every aspect of your job 
today, there are so many dimensions to cybersecurity that there's probably an adjacent one that's like your alley. You just haven't looked at it yet. So be curious and explore. And always, and in that lifelong learner mode, I am about to, I have two mentees and I'm about to uh, attain another mentor. Um, so I'm going to be a practice that too for myself because always somebody who can teach you and they could be a babe, new babe in the woods. They could teach you something. So always be open to that. And so when you ask about joy, um, I think that building co- consensus and community has been important for me. Once upon a time, I owned a professional security conference just for that purpose on the West Coast. And I think um, when we can achieve something together and I can have that kind of impact, it brings me a lot of joy. And I would also recommend that if you're presenting to senior leadership or a board, you, if you're a CISO, you grab that CIO and you co-present. You build presentations together and you show that unified front and you show operation and you build those bridges so you don't have towers and always building lifting all boats that's what i love when i can help everybody else it also seems to help the community at large that's awesome that's awesome and obviously it's a recipe for success right building the community mentoring ship reaching out and networking like i know both of you do and i've seen both of you speak at local conferences here in southern california and so that's why we're all together today i think that's the recipe for success especially in this field but forget security and almost any field right building the relationships building the network it ties back to the original conversation of how do you gain buy-in right how do you gain trust how do you build that security culture within your organization it's really relationships a lot of that right understanding the business understanding uh, what are the strengths the challenges uh, successes good days and bad days for your peers as well at every single level so super valuable information jeff and rich um i know we've got a lot of listeners listening in and so you guys even gave some secret sauce to some of the vendors so don't <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if you get your emails start getting blasted here with <laughs> security vendors be like oh you said it and here it goes but Again, I want to appreciate and uh, everybody for joining this great podcast here. Uh, Jeff, again, thank you so much. Rich, thank you so much. Valuable insights, valuable information, learning from two experienced pros like yourself. Couldn't have asked for a better podcast. But Jeff, Rich, I'll, I'll start. Rich, any final last words? Uh, no, just thanks for having us. Thanks for letting us have a conversation with the community. And I always invite people to connect if they've got questions and we, I can help. It's my pleasure to give back to individuals who pursue this path and have their own sense of curiosity because this this field has been good to me for a quarter century and I'd like to get back. Awesome. Jeff, any final words from you? Yeah, I just want to say for those watching that are thinking about a career in security, definitely explore it. Don't be bashful. The opportunity is unlimited. Uh, the ability to learn, the demands enormous. So I think it's a great career path. Awesome. Awesome. And for anyone else listening, as well as Rich mentioned, you can follow both Rich and Jeff on LinkedIn. Their LinkedIn's are publicly available. And we'll put those in the links in the comments below as well. But without further ado, again, we want to thank everybody from joining in today. Be on the lookout for more Exploring Cybersecurity episodes here coming in the future. Jeff, Rich, one more time. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the week. And audience members, thank you again. Everybody have a great rest of the day.